We do uh, praise you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you, O Lord, that you chose us from the foundations of the world. We thank you, Son, that you chose to come to be our Redeemer, to save us from our sins, and you accomplished the task. And we thank you, O Holy Spirit, that you took that atoning work of Jesus, you regenerated our hearts, you drew us to Jesus, and enabled us to believe. And so we have, we do praise you, almighty triune God. Teach us now by your Holy Spirit, for the glory of Jesus, amen. We are in John 18. We're going to take a look at the first 11 verses this afternoon. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you see? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also was betraying him, was standing with them. When therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, therefore, he asked them, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these referring to his disciples, go away, go their way. That the word might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom thou hast given me, I lost not one of. Simon Peter, therefore, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off the right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Jesus, therefore, said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Well, Jesus has <clears throat> held the Passover, what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. And Judas was going to betray him. Jesus says, Someone was, one of you are going to betray me. Satan filled his heart. He went out to betray Jesus. Then Jesus publicly prays in the presence of his disciples, asking the Father to glorify him with the glory that he once had, that he had uh, accomplished the task the Father had given him. I've manifested thy word to them, Father. I don't pray for the world, but I do pray for them. I've guarded all of them, and not one of them is lost. <clears throat> except for the son of perdition, referring to Judas Iscariot. He said, I wanted uh, my joy to be full. Uh, my joy 
be full in them. And he said, my joy was the fact that the Father was going to glorify him. And as long as we focus on that glory that you and I are going to receive, then we'll have Jesus' joy. Jesus said, uh, one of his parts of his prayer was, Father, I don't ask that you'll take them out of the world. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't want you to take them out of the world, basically because I have a task for them to do. But I do ask this, Father, that you protect them from the evil one, the great adversary. And, and so, and then he says, he prays, Father, that they may be one even as you and I are one. And as we are one in our purpose and <clears throat> in terms of understanding our mission, just like Jesus' mission was to accomplish redemption, redemption, then that is the message that we preach and we are one, we are to be one in mind with that great goal in mind. Well, the scripture says, having finished these words, Jesus told his disciples, beginning in John 18, they crossed over the Kidron Ravine to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus often, the scripture says, met. It is uh, noteworthy. <clears throat> that this Valley of Kidron that they crossed over to has a historical significance. It's where Josiah burnt the idols of the high places and threw it into the valley. It's where Hezekiah did the same thing. <clears throat> it's where David crossed over this ravine when his son Absalom was seeking to overthrow his father as king. And so David was fleeing for his life. Uh, and some have said, we do know from the scriptures that David is a type of Christ. And so as David will go flee over uh, for his life, we know that our Messiah, Jesus, is determined. <clears throat> he says, it is time to go. And <clears throat> it, the, his arrest is imminent. And it has to take place. And we, we know from Jesus as, as our great high priest, he has to prepare, just as a high priest prepares for the sacrifices, for the atonement of sin of the people of God, Jesus, who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist testified. The Lamb of, of God will proceed, he has to go to pay that horrible price to save us from our sins. So Jesus makes it clear at the Passover feast that he was going away, that he was going to fulfill all that was said of him that he had to fulfill. He's prayed that the Father will glorify him uh, because he was faithful are going to be faithful to that task. And we're told in verse two here, Judas knew the place. Well, Judas knew the place because as the scripture says, they often gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane to be taught and to pray. And remember Judas, before the, the Passover feast that we know is the Last Supper, He'd already cut the deal 
with the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So when Judas came to that Passover, he had already essentially betrayed Jesus. And, and obviously, he had told them, I will, I will lead you to him. I know where he will probably go. And that's why John says here, Judas knew the place. And so the great betrayer is going to come. Uh, we, we see that the promised Messiah, he's going to go forward to carry out his task in order to save sinners from their sins. Uh, he would take them into uh, a dangerous situation. He would take them into an area of uh, understanding their weaknesses and notwithstanding the promises that have been made to them, uh, Christ sometimes, he does bring us into situations that can be dangerous, but he promises to take care of us. And he promised to take care of his disciples. Now we're told here in, in verse three that Judas, having received uh, a Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees to come out with lanterns and they were fully weaponized. Now we're not told, a Roman cohort is said to be 600 soldiers. Now we're not told exactly how much, how many came, but we are told elsewhere, and we're gonna take a look to get the full picture. We are gonna take a look at Matthew and Luke's account because John doesn't give us everything. Uh, there are things that John says at Matthew and Luke. So we are gonna take a few things so we can get the whole picture. So we don't know how many soldiers came, but let's say there was a whole bunch of them. And they were fully weaponized. And as some have said, they had lanterns because it was in the dark. The Passover was observed at the full moon. So it was probably late at night when they cross over into the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're going to come with lanterns. And the some have said, <clears throat> the wicked came with their lanterns, their lights, to seize the light of the world. <laughs> and so they come, it was a large group, and the very, the very sight of Jesus seeing, knowing this multitude was coming would be kind of a, in one sense, a, a sign of the imminent uh, terrible suffering that he was going to go through. We're told that he knew that they were coming. And uh, notice what verse four says. Jesus, therefore knowing all the things that were going to come upon him, he knew his destiny. Remember, he'd already been telling them that the son of man must go to Jerusalem, must be delivered up, by the chief priest must suffer and die and be raised from the dead. He'd already been trying to tell the disciples, they didn't fully understand that, but he was telling them that, that this would take place. 
And so Jesus goes over, and what we're not told here in John, when they went over to the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, Jesus goes out to pray. And the disciples are basically sleeping. And he comes back and says, you, could, you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Goes back out to pray more. Comes back. They're still asleep. The scripture says it is late at night. And, but he says, it's time to get up. They're coming. He, know, he knows that Judas is bringing that cohort and the chief priests to arrest him. And so I, I want us to take a look at some of that, what Matthew has to say in Luke. So if you will, turn over to Matthew 26. And let's pick up at verse 55. I just want to mention verses 55 uh, or 55 and 56 uh, for the moment. Well, we better back up. Let's look at, start at verse 47, Matthew 26. And while he was speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a great multitude. That's where we know it had to be a lot of those soldiers. Otherwise, it wouldn't be uh, fit to say a great multitude. They came with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave him a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus, said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you've come to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, meaning to Peter, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then shall the scriptures be be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Now at that time, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out here with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a, a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching you and you did not seize me. But all these things has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So the the great betrayer Judas comes. 
He told them, what, what, whoever I go and kiss. Now remember Jesus at the Last Supper after Judas had left had said that a friend, he quotes Psalm 41, that a friend would lift up his heel against him. And of course, Judas was his friend. Judas was one of the 12. Judas was with Jesus for three years. Judas went out to preach with all the others, amazingly. And so, yeah, he was his friend. But Jesus knew all along, according to John 6, he knew he was a devil. But why did he allow him to come along? Because he knew that Judas would eventually betray him. He had to be betrayed. He had to be betrayed by a friend. He had to be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver because that's what Zechariah said would be the price for the betrayal. All this had to take place. Now remember, uh, Peter had said during the time when, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, and they wondered, is it me, is it me? Peter says, well, I guarantee you it's not going to be me. <laughs> and kept insisting that he would never uh, deny Jesus. And yet Jesus, uh, Jesus says, no, Peter. And we, looked at, we talked about this several weeks ago. Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I will pray for you. And when you are restored, then go comfort your brothers. So they go out, and when this multitude of Roman soldiers with the chief priests carrying clubs and swords, Peter instinctively just says, I don't think so. And what some have said, he cut the ear, but he probably wasn't going, he wasn't that great. He was probably trying to sever his head in two and just happened to catch the ear, okay? We are told elsewhere that Jesus, well, one thing, John is the only one who gives the name of the servant whose ear was lopped off. His name was Malchus, just, I think, to emphasize the historical nature of it as a real person. So when that, that ear got lopped off, Jesus immediately heals that man's ear. Now, let me ask you this. If you've got this multitude of Roman soldiers and chief priests, officers, carrying clubs and weapons, and they're coming to arrest this Jesus, and these disciples are with him, and one takes out a sword, now what would be the most likely scenario well, they would fall upon him, and every all those disciples, they're going, they'd perish, right? They'd kill him. So Jesus restores it immediately, the ear, and he says to, to, to Peter, he says, I want you to put up your sword. Now, we, we got to think about this. <clears throat> At one time in my early Christian uh as a young Christian, I thought Jesus taught pacifism. I didn't know better. Uh, and I thought this is one of the passages. You know, whose idea? You know, Jesus actually told the disciples to carry a sword with them. Why? For protection. 
So why did Jesus, when Peter lopped off that ear, put that sword back? Well, here's the reason, is that he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he would put 12 legions of angels. Look, if I wanted to, I could wipe out this, this multitude if I wanted to. But I'm not going to because I'm going to have to be arrested and I'm going to have to die. It has to happen. So, and here's another thing. He says, all of this has to take place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, I do want you to, um, let's jump back to John 18, and we're actually going to move ahead a little bit in John 18, because I want to emphasize this point, why Jesus told Peter to put your sword up. And he says, those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. We'll take a look at John 18. And uh, here in, um, we'll start at verse 34. This is moving ahead when Jesus is before Pilate. And in verse 33, Pilate therefore summoned uh, him again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus, said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me what you have done. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. So why, Jesus is not talking about a legitimate use of self-defense. No, what he said to Peter is, I've got to die. Jesus says, my kingdom is not this world. It's a kingdom of peace. And my kingdom is not advanced by the sword. Because if it were advanced by the sword, then Jesus says, my disciples will be fighting right now. But Jesus told them to put the sword up. That's not going to be how we're going to win the world for Christ by the sword. No, it's going to be by the power of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so what we have, we have that scenario. So I, I, now look at John 18. We're going to uh, move ahead a little bit. When in verse 4 and 5 of John 18. So as this multitude is coming to arrest Jesus, Jesus says to them, whom do you seek? Jesus, the Nazarene. I am he. Now, one thing is interesting. When he saw the crowd, it says Jesus went out to meet them. 
Jesus knows what their intent is. He knows they've come to arrest him. He knows that eventually they're going to try him and kill him. He goes willingly to meet those who are going to be the instruments that will lead to his death. And when he says, I am he, you know what the sacred name of God is? I am that I am. Look what happens. This is interesting, is it not? Verse verse 6 says, When therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now this is a great multitude. I think this is an indication. This is Jehovah saying, Who you're looking for? I am. And by the very forcefulness, I think of Jesus it just f- literally floored that, that group. And Jesus, as it were, as he told them earlier, hey, I could, I could wipe you all out if I wanted to. I could call 12 legions of angels and dispense with you. But they felt the force of Jehovah speaking to them. And it's interesting that John mentions that Judas who was betraying them, was standing with them. In other words, Judas was making himself known. You've got Jesus and his disciples, and now Judas has betrayed them, has betrayed Jesus. And John, I think, is emphasizing Judas is standing with, with the enemies of God. He's standing with Satan. His heart had been filled with Satan. And and so John emphasizes just the depth of the betrayal of Judas, a friend. Who, you know, in biblical times, a kiss was a sign of honor and affection. And here comes Judas saying, I'll tell you who he is. I'll kiss him, which was the sign that would be of one of friendship, of honor, of affection, was the kiss of the betrayer. Oh, friend, do what you've come to do. You know, we've already noted that Jesus says, with reference to Judas, that he says, the son of man, Mark 14, 21, the son of man is to go as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. It would have been better if that man had never been born. And so Judas, having been filled with the devil, leads them to a place he knows where they are, And what would be a, uh, as a friend and a kiss of friendship is not a kiss of friendship. It is of the, the most despicable act probably in human history and betrays the Lord. Uh, Turn with me over to, to Luke 22, 47 through 53. 
to get some of what Luke has to add to this incident. Luke says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude came and the one called Judas, one of the 12, was uh, preceding them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, said he, he adds something that Matthew didn't add or John. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that he was what was going to happen, they saw it. Now here's something that Luke adds, the others don't. Lord, shall we strike them with the sword? They said, let's, let's deal with, oh, you're going to deal with a Roman cohort? Uh, uh, it may not have been 600, it could have been 100. Oh, you're going to have the 12? You, you're, going to, you're going to attack this Roman cohort who've got swords and the others got clubs? Oh, you're going to do that? And then it says, he records, a certain one of them struck the slave of the high priest, cut off his rear. And here Luke adds something, no one else adds. Jesus answered said, stop it, none of this. I ain't gonna have any of this. And that's where the others fill in. I, I've, got to be, I've got to be delivered up, I've got to be killed. And my kingdom is not going to be advanced by the sword. So stop it. So Luke, this phrase, it puts it this way. Matthew flushes it out, we saw. And we're told, now Jesus says to the chief priests and the officers in the temples, who had come out with him, have you come out with swords and clubs as against a robber? Jesus felt it was an insult. He says, look, I've been in the temple teaching you all the time. You, you didn't do a thing. And you come out here with swords and clubs. You're treating me as a common thug. What have I ever done to you? But teach you. He, he felt the insult. And we're told... <clears throat> Luke, of course, adds in verse 53, while I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But the hour has come. The hour has come and the power of darkness are yours. Now we've mentioned, if you recall, how Jesus would, would be teaching in the temple and the Pharisees were so upset, they were trying to seize him several times. And it says he would get away somehow. And remember what the scripture says? It was not the time. It was not the hour. But now was the hour. The power of darkness had come. The prince of darkness had come. The prince of darkness had filled the friend, Judas, to portray the Messiah. And so we see, turn back to, to John 18. And picking up at verse 17, when Jesus said, 
Who are you seeking? They said, Jesus, I am he. He says it twice. I'm he. I'm, I'm the one you're seeking. And Jesus says, I told you that I am he. Therefore, you seek me. Let these go their way. Now, who's the these? The disciples. Those who said to Jesus, do you want us to, do you want us to strike them, Jesus? And Peter says, well, I'll, he took it upon himself to go after the head of Malchus and just happened to take off his ear. And I think the one reason why Jesus, well, immediately healed Malchus's ear so that it may have happened then, but then it was, uh, it doesn't say how long it was healed. It may have been instantaneous. I don't know. But it was, I think, quick enough so that Jesus said, you've come out for me, you got me, now let these go. Why? Again, that they wouldn't perish. Would we be around here if the 11 disciples, I mean, they're the ones that took the, uh, the gospel to the world, right? What would have happened? They all been wiped out. But Jesus said, they're not going to be wiped out. That's why he said, Father, I have lost not one of them, not one of them. I have guarded them. He sure was guarding them right that moment when he said, you, you wanted me, you got me, let these others go away. Well, now, you know, what's interesting is this. The disciple says, Lord, you want us to strike them? And Peter says, well, I'll take care of it. All of a sudden, when they grab a hold of Jesus, now the disciples, they flee, they scatter. Now they're afraid. Well, <clears throat> why, why did they scatter? They scattered because of fulfillment of prophecy. Because the prophet says, when the shepherd of the sheep is struck down, the sheep will scatter. And Jesus quoted that. And he says, no, you all will leave me. You all will abandon me. And they did. You know what's interesting in scriptures? I hope you've, you maybe see the tension. And I've mentioned this before. You, you got two great biblical truths that need to be held up together. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. All of these things have to happen, have to happen. All of these things were prophesied, predestined to happen. Nothing was ever going to change it. And yet at the same time, they were guilty. Judas was guilty. And Jesus says it had been better if that man had never been born. He was fully culpable. We've said even Judas understood that because he wanted to throw the piece of silver back saying, I've betrayed innocent blood. They say, well, we could care less. And so <clears throat> here we have a sovereign God who has ordained all of these events to take place. And the disciples, will they will scatter. Jesus will protect them, says, you got me, let them go. He's emphasizing all along the kingdom of God is not advanced by the sword. My kingdom is not of this world. 
And he will say, if my kingdom were of this world, then my disciples would be fighting. But he protected them so that they would go out and the world would never be the same through their preaching. So what we see here is this marvelous interplay of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Jesus, remember in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus goes out purposefully to lead himself to be seized because the son of man must die. And if he doesn't die, you and I are left in our sins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. And we thank you that Jesus was faithful to the task you gave him, Father. And we're thankful that the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples who were preserved to preach that marvelous gospel that has led to the salvations of multitudes down through the centuries. Do watch over us, Lord. Do give us the courage to go forth with that precious gospel, the only gospel that can save sinners. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.